You know, I'm in this series, and, and I just want you to know that um, my primary gifting, and I know this, um, my primary gifting from the Lord is preaching, the mantle of preaching. I know he's placed it upon me, and um, that's where I'm most comfortable. That's my wheelhouse, if I can say that. Um, but right now, I'm more in a teaching mode, okay? So, and I believe that it's important what I'm sharing with you um, to be taught uh, because sometimes when it's, you know, it not only has to be taught, but it has to be caught by your spirit. So if you enjoy teaching, I hope this will bless you and hope this will be beneficial to you. Um, but anyhow, it's still God's word, no matter how it's delivered, right? I said, it's still his word, no matter how it is delivered. So we're in this series called All In, and what it looks, you know, what that basically means is what it looks like to be committed, sold out to the Lord, you know, what it consists of, and I've kind of went over that. It's been a series that we've been in, and I preach a lot in series, so what that means is I build, you know, each message builds upon the last message, so sometimes I'll tie some things together. That's why it's important for you, if you can't be here to catch it, Online, You can go to lpcmentor.com. It's posted there. You can go to our Facebook page. It's on our Facebook page. Every message that's preached, you can, uh, you can catch up with it too. So to help you just as we navigate through this. I want to read Hebrews chapter 5. I want to read Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse number 11. And what I want to talk to you this morning about is exercising your senses. Um, honing in a little more on that would be exercising your spiritual senses. And I'll talk about that, but let's first read the word of the Lord. Hebrews 5, 11, he says, there's so much more I would like to say along these lines, but you don't, but you don't seem to listen. So it's hard to make you understand. You have been Christians a long time now. Now, many believe that, uh, and I believe that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. There's some debate on who wrote the letter of Hebrews or the book of Hebrews. I believe it's the Apostle Paul. And some commentaries believe that um, Paul is speaking to a group of Christians that some have at least 30 years of Christianity uh, under their belts. So we're not talking about people that are new to Christ. We're not talking about people that were just born again. We're talking about people that have been in and of the faith for quite some time. And listen to what he says to him. He says, you've been, you've been Christians for a long time now, and you ought to be teaching others, but instead you have dropped back to the place where you need someone to teach you all over again the first principles in God's Word. You are like babies who can drink only milk, not old enough for solid food. And when a person is still living on milk, it shows he, is very, he isn't very far along in the Christian life and doesn't know much about the difference between right and wrong. He is still a baby Christian, and that's all right. That's okay, like I said, if you're new to this. It's not okay if you're 10, 15, 20, 
years into this. Listen to what he says. You will, you will never be able to eat solid spiritual food and understand the deep things of God's word until you become better Christians and learn right from wrong by practicing doing right. Now, I want to read that last scripture from the King James Version or the New King James Version, verse 14. I want to read it and listen to it. It says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Um, and I wrote in there, longevity does not equal maturity. So just because you've been a Christian X amount of years doesn't mean you are a mature Christian, okay? That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Father, I thank you and I praise you and I pray, God, that you would just speak to us over the next few minutes in this service and we'll never cease to give you the praise nor the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And everyone said, amen. I believe that the account that I just read to you really capsulizes what I've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, talking about this all-in, fully committed, devoted disciple of Christ. Um, I believe it tells us a couple of things. Number one, I believe it tells us that if you are not growing in your faith, you will find yourself going back. The very first message that I preached in this series, I talked about how the children of Israel got to the place in the wilderness experience where they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to their old ways. And so if you're not moving forward, you're gonna find yourself wanting, longing to go back. Paul said by this place or by this point in your walk, you should be able to teach others. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you're up here or you're in a, uh, behind a pulpit, but it does mean uh, that you're able to share your faith with whomever God brings in your path, whether that's a friend, a family member, whether that's just sitting in your home. He's saying that you should be to the place in your life where you can share some of the common principles of your salvation and of the gospel. But he said, because you've drawn back, you have regressed back to a place you need to be taught all over again. I need to go back and teach you the very basics, the very foundations of your Christianity. And so the takeaway from that is simply this. If you don't move forward in your faith, you will fall back. There's no such thing as staying neutral. You're either going forward or you will go back. You're not gonna just stay in one place. That's one of the takeaways that we need to understand. The second principle to this is Paul's telling us that spiritual development is work. Everyone say work. Spiritual development is work. Just like in the natural, so in the spirit. If, um, if you want to get your body in shape, it takes work, right? Come on. If you want your spirit to get in shape, it takes work. 
So uh, there's no magic wand that God's going to wave over us. There's no genie in a bottle. If you and I are going to mature as believers, then we have to develop a disciplined life. All right? We understand that salvation is free. We don't work for it. It's a gift that's given to us by God. But when we begin the renewal process, Romans chapter 12, when we begin to the, the renewal process in our lives, it is work. So Paul tells us this. Paul talks to us about this. He uses the word, he says, use in here. And it's not something that's just half-hearted. It's not something that's just sporadic. But the word use here simply means habitual, and it means habit, habit forming. So our spiritual growth, our spiritual development is the result of developing godly habits. All right? These habits have to be developed. What are they? I'll give you a couple of, a couple of them. They're pretty simple. Uh, developing godly habits would be Bible reading, right? Hello? Oh, oh you're, you're writing. Okay, I don't want to interrupt you. So developing these habits would be developing a lifestyle of Bible reading. It would be prayer, spending time in prayer with the Lord. It would be witnessing, sharing and exercising your faith. It would be fellowshipping. We would call that being a part of a group, getting connected to a group so that you can continue to be discipled within that group. Um, some of the things you would do would be serving, using your time, using your talent, using your treasure that God has given you to continue to develop and grow in your faith. This is part of a surrendered life. This is part of uh, developing habits, spiritual habits that are going to cause, that will cause maturity in our life. So it is through discipline that we form godly habits. They help us to discern, Paul said, between good and evil. All right? These habits, prayer, Bible reading, connecting, serving, help us to be able to discern between good and evil. And then he used the word exercise, exercising our senses. That word means to train. It literally means to exercise, to put in motion. So as believers, you and I are supposed to be in spiritual training. Just like physical training to keep the body fit, <clears throat> so it is with our spirit. We are supposed to be in training. Now, guess what? That doesn't stop. There's never a place in your life where you get to the point in your life where you've learned it all, where you know it all, where you're at that place where you don't have to pray, or you're at that place where you don't have to read your Bible, or you're at that place where you don't have to come to church. You never get to that place because you're continuing to develop and you're continuing to grow. And these, these things must become a lifestyle, habits that become a lifestyle for us. Now, to me, this is where the body comes into play. I talked last week about the spirit. I've talked about the soul. But you have to understand something about your body. Your body is your driver. The body is the vehicle that carries your soul 
and carries your spirit around. Uh, the Bible says this. The Bible says that we are to flee or we are to resist temptation. So the vehicle, your body, is either going to take you towards temptation or take you away from temptation. Now, your spirit and your soul have, have work to do with that as well. But it's your body that is your driver. It is the vehicle. And so the body has triggers um, that are going to lead you to good things or they're going to lead you to negative things. These triggers are gateways. I'm going somewhere. Hold on. The gateways are the five senses, five natural senses that every single one of us have. These senses have to be exercised. But just like in the natural, so in the spirit. So when you and I become born again, God, God activates spiritual senses in our life. And these senses are designed to help us have a more intimate relationship with the Lord. Now, I'm going to talk about these over the next um, two and a half hours. And I'm going to talk about these five spiritual, just seeing if you're awake, five spiritual senses. I'm going to talk practically and I'm going to talk spiritually, okay? So I'm going to give you two realms, two tracks that we're going to work on. Uh, that we're gonna that we're gonna run on, because I think there's some practical things that we need to apply in our life that must become habits in our life, and there are some spiritual things that must become habits in our life. So let's look at this uh, exercise in your senses. Let's talk about the first one. Let's talk about taste. Everyone say taste. The Bible says this. The Bible says, taste and see that what the Lord is good. So once you taste and see, what does that mean? Once you experience God, once you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and you experience his goodness, you experience his grace and you experience his mercy, nothing else will ever satisfy or replace that experience in your life. Nothing else will. All right? So taste and see is equated to your experience with God. He's a good God. He's not a hard taskmaster. He's a good, good father, right? And he wants what's best for us. So once you taste and see and experience that, then there should be a craving or a yearning or a longing to 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 want to know more about him and to grow in his grace and to grow in his mercy. So this deals with your appetite. Just like in the natural, so in the spirit. We have to feed, right? We have to feed ourselves naturally, and we have to feed ourselves spiritually. By the way, if this is the only spiritual meal that you get throughout the week, you are malnutrited. I can't say it. Nourished, thank you. Trying to say two words at once. Easy for me to say. That's why Jocelyn sits right here. She's my corrector. So if this is the only thing you're getting, you are starving your spirit man. So what has to happen, church, is you have to develop an appetite for the things of God. That's our responsibility. 
Uh, remember the story of the children of Israel. Remember God brought them, delivered them out of Egypt. That's a picture of us coming out of the world. It's a picture of God bringing us out of sin. And then they wandered through the wilderness because, because they doubted and they allowed unbelief to enter into their lives. And they got to the place in their life where they said, you know what? We want to go back. Remember, Paul just said that, that if you don't develop spiritually, you will want to draw back. And so they wanted to go back. And what was, what was one of the things they said? Remember, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. They desired the food that they received in Egypt. The meat that they received in Egypt, which is a type and a shadow of the world. We know that to be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So if you don't start feeding your spirit man then that flesh man is going to begin to rise back up and desire those old things that are supposed to be crucified and that are supposed to be brought into subjection. Because one way or the other, you're going to feed either your spirit or you're going to feed your natural man. It's going to happen. So you got to starve. You got to starve the flesh and you got to feed the spirit. You have to develop an appetite for the things of God, right? Now, I gave you one example of how a, uh, how a whole nation wanted to go back. Let me give you an example of the prodigal son because we've talked about him. Remember, give me my inheritance. He went out from underneath the father, out from underneath the father's house in covering, went out, wasted all of his money, spent all he had. And the Bible said that he ended up feeding pigs. And he was so hungry that he, that he said he desired to eat the very thing he was feeding the pigs. And then the Bible said he came to his senses. And it all starts in the mind. Change starts in the mind. The Bible said he came to his senses. He said, wait a minute. There is enough food in my father's house for all of his servants to be satisfied. And so the motivating factor that brought the son back to the father and brought the son back to the father's house was the fact that there was food in the father's house. And what he was saying was simply this, I've been out in this world and nothing in this world can satisfy what I had in my father's house. I, he wasted all of his money on women and wine and whatever. And he said, nothing can take the place because why? Once you experience taste and see, once you experience the goodness of God, nothing in this world will ever satisfy that longing and craving and appetite that God has deposited into your spirit. And so the motivating factor that brought him back to the father was the food that was in the father's house. It should be one of the motivating factors that bring us back to this house week in and week out, that we're going to be fed the word of God, amen, that we're going to receive from the father and we're going to receive his word. That should be one of the motivating factors, but not just here. It should be in our own homes, right? We ought to be able to receive from God. We ought to be able to receive his word in our own homes and in our own way and in our own time, right? So you have to be hungry. And if you'll start starving the flesh, your spirit man will become hungry for the things of God. But if you keep, if you keep feeding that stinking flesh, 
that's all you're going to crave. And I'm not talking about donuts and pizza. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. When the son came home, the father, after he put the ring on his finger, the coat on his, on his back, and the sandals on his feet, the father said, I want you to kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. And the reason he wanted him to eat the fatted calf, what have we been talking about? What was the letter in Hebrews about? Paul said, I can't feed you meat. He said, you're immature. It would be silly for us to try to take a baby, a newborn, and put a T-bone steak in front of them. They're not developed yet. They can't handle that, right? So they have to have what? They have to have milk. And what the father is saying in this story is simply this. Listen, he's old enough now. He's been in my house long enough that he needs to get off the milk. He's been in my presence. He's been in my care long enough that I can't keep feeding him milk. I got to get him on a steady diet of meat. And so God gets to the place in our life where God says, all right, the milk is over. It's time to get on the meat of the word so that we can mature in our faith, so that we can mature in our walk, so that we're not so easily drawn back or fading back or drawn away from the things of God. I'm telling you, you have to develop a spiritual hunger and begin to get the meat of the word of God so that you can mature in your faith and stand strong to be able to resist the temptation that will come your way. Come on, if you believe it, put those hands together and give God praise. So that's taste. There has to be a hunger for the things of God. Number two is sight. Sight. I said this 20 years ago, and it's still true today. Sight affects desire. Whatever you look at the longest becomes the strongest in your life. David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Who controls sight? You do. I do. Who controls your internet? Who controls your Netflix? Come on, just keep looking at me. It's okay. Breathe in, breathe out. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's tight, but it's all right. We'll, be, we'll get out of it in a minute, I promise you. Who controls what we look at? We do. God's not going to do that for us. So, sight affects desire. What you look at the longest becomes the strongest in your life. So then you're going to have to discipline yourself. Remember he said exercise, discipline, create habits in your life that are going to make you strong enough to resist the temptation when it comes your way. Someone told me a long time ago, they said, you can't help that a bird flies over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your head, on your head. So I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about being tempted. The Bible says we will be tempted. Jesus was tempted, but was yet without sin. So I'm not talking about temptation. I am talking about yielding to that temptation. And the more you yield to it, the weaker you become to it. So the more you give into it, the weaker you are of controlling it. And so what you're going to have to do, Jesus said this. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Is that not what he said? He said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Well, does that mean Jesus wants us to go around 
gouging out our eyeballs? Lord, I hope not. Because let's just say, for instance, that we did. We just, okay, this eye's offended me. It's gone. Well, guess what? I have another one. All right, I take that one out. Well, guess what? That's not going to stop because the Bible says that we lust within our hearts, right? And our imagination. So you could take your eyes out, but that's not going to keep you from lusting, which lets me know it's a heart issue. It's not a sight issue. It's a heart issue. So if we get this right, this will be right. If our heart is right and we want to please the Father, then when we know we're, remember the driver? When we know we're going in the wrong direction, we got to say, wait a minute, we're heading the wrong way. I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm with the wrong people. And so you have to be able, you have to be able to get out of that and to navigate yourself out of that. And this is what Jesus said. What he's telling us is this. He said, what you need to do is you need to deal radically with what's going on in your life. So if that means the internet is causing me to sin, turn it off. Just turn it off. Turn it off until you can get developed enough in your faith where you can say, you know what? I know I'm not supposed to be watching this. I know I'm not supposed to be listening to this. So I'm just going to move beyond this. But if you can't do, if there's too much temptation in front of you, then turn it off or give it to somebody and say, I'm accountable. I'm accountable to you. Do whatever you need to do. I'm accountable to you. Do we, you, do we want to develop our faith? Do we want to mature in our faith? These are some things we have to do. He says, you have to develop these kind of habits. Now I want to talk about the spiritual application to this. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, he says this, I keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom, the, the ability to discern right or wrong, false doctrine uh, from, from the right doctrine, and revelation, so that you may know him better. It's all about growing closer to him. It's all about intimacy with him. And this is what he says. Watch this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your what? Of your heart. You didn't know it, but your heart has eyes. I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So what Paul is simply saying is this. Our eyes have a, our heart has eyes and he's praying that they would be open. In other, in other words, he's saying that there would be an understanding, an unveiling. The eyes of our heart let us see what's going on in the spirit realm. You're still with me? Okay, stay with me. So in other words, everything you see now is in the natural. Everything, it's in the natural. By the way, everything that you can see in the natural one day will be gone. Everything's going to pass away but the word of God. There is another world on top of this world. It's the spirit world. It's as real as what you and I are in right now. Paul said there were three heavens. He was caught up into the third heaven one time. There's a heaven that's about 12 inches above your head. There's a heaven, a second heaven, that is controlled by the prince of power of the air. 
And then there is the third heaven in which God lives. It's his throne. Okay? And so, so we have these different, we have these different realms. And so when I talk about our eyes of understanding being open, I'm talking about being able to see into the spirit realm. Remember when Elisha, remember when there was an army that came against Elisha and his servant? And Elisha was like, you know, what's the big deal? And his servant's like, can't you see we are surrounded? It's us and there's this big army surrounding us. And Elijah says, nope, I, I, I don't really see that. And he's like, what are you talking about? And Elijah prayed this prayer. Elisha prayed the prayer, Lord, open his eyes. Well, wait a minute. He could see. So why is he asking the Lord to open his eyes? He was praying, God, open his eyes to the spirit realm. His eyes of understanding. Let him see what's going on in the spirit realm. And you know what? The Bible said that God opened his servant's eyes, and you know what he saw? He saw a host of heaven's army encamped around that other army that was encamped about them. And what he found out was this. There are more for us than there are against us. What he found out is greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. So what I'm trying to get you to see is there's another world that you and I can pray it's the spirit world where God will open our understanding and allow us to see things for the purpose of growing closer to him. I want to talk about that for a moment. This is where God gives us, and we're going we're gonna to go a little deep. I'm going to put some meat on your plate right here, so get ready. Get your fork out. Get your knife out. Here we go. This is what's known as prophetic insight. What is prophetic insight? How does prophetic insight work? Prophetic insight works this way. It works in dreams. It works in visions. It works in prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is simply a foretelling of what is to come. It's futuristic. Visions, visions are more open and visions are more literal. So when someone has a vision, they could have a vision. Paul had a vision while he was praying, the Bible says. Um, so, so they are more literal, and you don't have to be asleep to have the vision, okay? But then he says that, that God speaks to us, opens our understanding through dreams. Going back to the book of Acts, he said this, what? He said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. How many believe we're in the last days? He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy your young men are going to do what? Dream dreams. Your old men are going to do what? See visions. All right? So that's out here. God speaks to your spirit sometimes through a prophecy, through a dream, or through an open vision. And you don't have to be a prophet in order for that to happen in your life. Joseph wasn't a prophet. God gave him a dream about where to go and where not to go. About Mary and accepting her and what was going on in Mary's life was of God. So God can give us a dream. And dreams are more figurative than they are uh, literal. 
Because the dream is designed, I'm talking about prophetic, I'm talking about getting us to see into the spirit realm. Can I talk about it for a few more minutes? Okay. I shared this in the first service, so those of you that were here, don't, don't give it away. Um, God gave me a dream one time where there was a certain individual in our church, not this church, it was another church we were pastoring. He was in a utility closet, and there was an alligator in that closet, and he had a hose, and he was, he was just pouring water over this alligator. Pretty weird, right? Is that not weird? Somebody said in the first service, too much pizza. <laughs> Remember, the more figurative. God exaggerates things in your dreams. He does that to get your attention. He does that so that you'll focus on that thing. So I knew this was a dream from the Lord. I knew God was trying to speak to me about something. So I said, I prayed that prayer. God, open my understanding. Enlighten my eyes that I could see. What are you trying to, what's going on that, I, that I'm not aware of? And when I tell you this, it's going to make perfect sense to you. What do you think about when you think about an alligator? You think about its big mouth, right? Its teeth. You think about the power that's within its tail, right? What God was showing me in that dream was simply there's somebody who's running their mouth and telling tales about you. And the water is what keeps things growing. Now, God didn't tell me that for me to go confront that person. God told me that for me to begin to pray about what was going on in the spirit realm. And I begin to pray, and I just begin to pray that God would shut their mouth. That's all I begin to pray, God would shut their mouth. And do you know that it wasn't too much longer after the revelation of that insight of that dream came, and I begin to pray, do you know it wasn't too much longer that person ended up leaving? So a lot of times God will give you a dream, not for you to go to tell that person. God will give you that dream so that you can draw closer to him, so that he opens your understanding, so that you can pray about some things in your life, so that you can peer into the spirit, so that you can know what God's plans and purposes are for your life, and so that you can grow spiritually in him. Amen. Don't overlook what God is doing in the dream seasons of your life. Father, speak to me. Open my understanding. Amen. Let's talk about smell. We got time. Let's talk about smell. Smell is discernment. Everyone say discernment. Um, have you ever walked into a place and you could just tell by the smell what was being cooked? You know, you go home and mom's cooking, you know, chocolate chip cookies. And you didn't see it, but you know they're being baked, right? You just know. I call, obviously, that's the sense of smell, but spiritually, it's your knower. So there are times in your life where you can't see it, and there are times in your life where you can't hear it, but you know. And um, you'll say something like this. Something's just not right. Something just doesn't set right here. There's just something not right with, with that. Or we say something like, that smells funny, and I'm not talking about fish. Right? This is discernment. 
It is a gift of discernment. And in its simplest definition, here's what it is. Discernment is nothing more than the ability to decide between truth and error, between right and wrong, between what is biblical and what is false doctrine and false teaching. So when you hear something, when you hear something, you should be able to discern. This is what maturity does. You should be able to discern that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sit well with me. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong all the time, but it means you need to search out that matter a little more. It means that you need to dig a little deeper into that matter because there may be some things that we don't know that God's trying to teach us that if we'll dig a little deeper, he'll show us, right? And so, so that's discernment. God's given us the ability to discern between right and wrong. Um, the spiritual aspect of this deals with your worship and your prayer life. Remember when Mary came in and Mary broke that, that costly bottle of perfume and she anointed the feet of Jesus and the Bible said that the perfume, the aroma filled the whole room. In other words, they could, the whole room was filled with the fragrance of that perfume. That's what worship is like. When you and I worship God from a pure heart, when we worship God with right motives, when we pray to him, David said it's like the evening sacrifice. It's a sweet-smelling aroma that ascends into the nostrils of God. And so you're developing when you pray from a humble heart, when you worship from a humble place, it is a sweet-smelling fragrance that's going up before God, right? And so that's how, that's how we continue to develop. So that's part of our prayer life. That's part of our worship life. That's part of growing and developing spiritually. Can I talk to you about touch? And I'm almost done. Just going to ask you a few questions on this one. Whose life are you touching? How are you making a difference in someone else's life? Who are you helping? Um, are you in the game? Are you making a difference? Uh, not just standing on the sideline, but actively engaging and participating with the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given you. Because God has called us to change this world. And we cannot change this world by standing on the sidelines. Can't do it. And I feel a little push here and I'm going to talk about it. Because there's, there's, there's some people that have taken themselves out of the game because they've been hurt in the past. Listen, we've all been hurt. And you're still going to get hurt. They hurt Jesus. But he didn't take himself out of the game. And so some of you, in order for healing to come back into your life, you got to get back into the game. Because when you get back into the game and you start using your gifts and your talents and, and your ability to serve God and to do things for others, God uses that to bring healing in your life. Whose life are you touching? Because the life that you are touching can bring about healing in your own life. You believe that? Remember the woman with the issue of blood? Remember her? 
She had an issue of blood for 12 years. She would spend everything she had. And the Bible says that she heard, one of the senses she heard, that Jesus was in town. And she said this, if I can what? Touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. Here's what happened. The Bible said she touched the hem of his garment and immediately she knew in her body that she had been healed. It's the power of touch. Jesus also knew that somebody had touched him. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus is surrounded by a multitude of people. People are trying to get to him. People are reaching out to him. People are touching him all along the way. But the Bible says when this woman touched him, he felt virtue, which is the anointing of God. He felt virtue come out of him. That's how she was healed. And he turned around and said, who touched me? Who touched me? Have you ever been in a place where, um, and I'm not talking about church. Have you ever been in a place where you sense the presence of God? It's like, man, I feel God's presence here. I mean, you could be at the grocery store. You can be, I don't, I just, man, I just sense God's presence. Just overwhelming presence of God. You just sense it. That's not necessarily just for you to feel good. Oh, God, thank you. I know you love me. Thank you for just reaffirming that with your presence here right now. You need to take that a step further. And you need to say, okay, God, is there somebody in my, that is in this area that I need to touch? Is there somebody here that I need to minister to? And I'm telling you, this is bold, but I'm telling you, if you're open, if you're open, you'll hear God speak to you. And God will say, you see that person right over there? He may just say, I want you to pray for them. Not, not go over and pray for them, just I want you to pray for them. Right where you're at. That's the touch. That's reaching out and touching them by faith and believing. God, I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know what they're facing right now. But Lord, you brought them to my member, or you brought them to my attention. And I just reach out and by faith I touch them and I believe that you're moving in their life and then move on. But there may be times where God says, I want you to go talk to him. Look at your neighbor and say, uh-oh. <laughs> and right in the frozen section at the grocery store, between the peas and the corn, God says, I want you to pray for them. <laughs> and listen, don't get all weird about it. Don't turn somebody off. I'm just trying to help somebody out here. But God may say, just ask, can I pray for you? I don't know why. I don't know you. You don't know me. But I feel impressed to pray for you. If it is of the Lord, you will rejoice. If it is not, you will run. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you'll know. I just talked about, you'll know when you're knower. You'll know. Just be bold enough to do it. Who knows? Maybe that person was praying that very morning. God, I don't... Send somebody into my life. Let somebody pray for me. Let them know what's going on. Help me, Father. And you may very well be an answer to somebody's prayer, but you have to reach out and you got to touch them. In Jesus' name. You believe that this morning? Come on, let's give the Lord praise. I want you to stand. If you'd stand, I have more, but I want you to stand. Hey, I get it. I get it. Not everybody can handle strong meat. 
I get it. It's all right. I'm not offended. I get it. But we can't stay on the milk forever. I said we can't stay and grow just by getting milk every week, right? Comes a time where we have to get our faith sharpened and developed. These are things, these five senses, and I didn't give you the last one, is hearing. It's just developing an ear to hear from the Lord, and God will do that for you. First of all, by reading his word, that's how you begin to develop an ear for the Lord. Secondly, just by obeying what you hear, that's how you begin to develop an ear for the Lord. You'll hear the sound of God. Adam heard the sound of God in the garden. It's the voice of God. God will do that. God will help us develop that. But we have to listen to him and we have to obey him. And so Paul says these five spiritual senses have to be exercised. What does that mean? You got to use them. <laughs> if you don't use them, they're just inactive in your life. But Paul is saying you can activate these things. So you can activate sight, you can activate taste, you can activate the smell, you can activate these spiritual things in your life. And that's been my prayer this week. My prayer this week is that God would so stir us that we would begin to activate these senses in our life, both practical and spiritual just to begin to make a difference in people's lives and for us to begin to develop and mature in our faith as well. I don't know about you, but I want to go deeper. I want to go higher. I want to go further than I ever have in him. And all this, Paul said, all of these things are designed to draw us closer to God. It's all about getting closer to him. It's all about becoming more intimate with him. God just uses these things to draw us closer to him. And I know, and I sense, and I have over the past couple of weeks, that there is a hunger in this house. That's why God is sharing this with us right now. There is a hunger in this house for the word and the meat and the things of God. And guess what? God's going to feed us. God's going to feed us, and God's going to help us develop, and God's going to grow us. So I want to pray a prayer over you. And, and, and get ready to receive this morning and um, get ready to use these senses that God has given us upon salvation. I'm just going to pray that these things will begin to be activated in our life. So, Father, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, 